0: And you're listening to the guitar piece Opus de Funk by Alec Baksik, a wonderful LP uh, available at archive.org. Welcome to the Paperback Show. My name is Ricky Lee Grove, and this is the Reader's Guide to the Paperback Revolution. What was the Paperback Revolution? Well, the accepted date for the start of the modern Paperback Revolution is June 1939. And in that month, Robert de Graff, in association with Simon & Schuster, created pocketbooks. Now, there were paperbacks before these paperbacks, Toschnitz established a paperback line in Europe in the mid-1800s that continued into the 20th century, and Albatross Books followed the example of Toschnitz and created a line beautifully designed paperbacks that lasted until the Nazis took control in the late 30s, and Alan Lane's Penguin Books, which began in the mid-30s and became the model for the modern paperback, both in size and in content. All three of these publishers were based in Europe, so the first major paperback publisher in the U.S. was pocketbooks. Why was the creation of pocketbooks a revolution? Well, first we have to understand that books were published in hardback form primarily and priced at between 2 to $4 each. Considering that the $1939 is about 18 bucks in 2021, that means that only the upper middle class or upper class bought most of the hardback books published at that time. Most middle-class readers used a lending library where they could rent a book at the department store or a drugstore for a buck and return it in a few days or a week later. Much cheaper that way. Well, Robert DeGraff wanted to publish major bestsellers in a small, handy paperback format for 25 cents a book. That's the equivalent of about an hour of minimum wage at the time. So it was the price that was revolutionary. Suddenly, all kinds of people who weren't readers before could afford to read the latest bestseller. And secondly, these paperbacks were not sold in bookstores, primarily. They were considered too low-class or not literary enough. Instead, Graft used the magazine distribution network, and paperbacks were sold in newspaper stands, department stores, drugstores, and train or bus stops. Since the cost of producing the books was so low some sources say as low as five cents apiece at the time, you could have print runs of 20 or 30,000 at a time, and all of them could be delivered and refreshed by experienced magazine distributors. Now, De Graff tried out the idea with a print run of 2,000 copies of Pearl S. Buck's The Good Earth to give away on his sales trips. The book was enthusiastically received in stores like Macy's in New York. Bought twice the amount he was going to sell, he wanted to sell five thousand. They bought ten thousand. With such a positive response, De Graff published ten pocketbooks and placed big ads in the New York Press. And these ads were very interesting. Let me read you from uh, bits and pieces from the ads. <phone rings> Out today, the new pocketbooks that may revolutionize New York's reading habits. Now for less than a few cents you spend each week for your morning newspaper, you can own one of the great books for which thousands of people have paid two to five dollars. Never again need you say, I wish I had time to read. Because pocketbooks gives you the time. Never again need you dawdle idly in reception rooms, fret on train or bus rides. Sit vacantly staring at a restaurant table. The books you have always meant to read when you had the time will fill all the weights with enjoyment. Start your pocketbook library today. Ten great titles are already available. You'll find them on sale at hotel and railway newsstands, stationery shops, drug and cigar stores, bookshops, and department stores, wherever good books or magazine are sold. Money-back guarantee without any strings. And, of course, there was a coupon you could clip and mail in. If you bought four or more paperbacks, the shipping was free. If it was uh, under four, it cost you five cents apiece for shipping. Man, I wish I would have bought that whole library and socked it away in my attic. It would be worth thousands and thousands of dollars today. Now, the ten pocketbooks that were published in June 1939 were Lost Horizon, by James Hilton, Wake Up and Love, by Dorothea Brandy, Five Great Tragedies, by William Shakespeare, Topper, by Thorne Smith, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, by Agatha Christie, Enough Rope, by Dorothy Parker, "Mothering Heights, by Emily Bronte, The Way of All Flesh, by Samuel Butler, The Bridge of St. Louis Ray, by Thornton Wilder, and Bambi, by Felix Salton. And by the time these ten books were ready. Orders came in for 10,000 printings each. Pretty soon it went to 100,000 printings each. And by 1940, a year later, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, number 28 in pocketbooks, broke one million print run. Now it's interesting to note that only one mystery was on the list and no science fiction. Well, that would soon change and mysteries would become a mainstay for pocketbooks with authors like Earl Stanley Gardner's um, Perry Mason series, John Dixon Carr, Dashiell Hammett, Spillane, and more. And like Penguin Books, pocketbooks had its own mascot, a kangaroo named Gertrude drawn by Frank Lieberman, who created a number of early pocketbook covers. DeGraff created the model that other paperback publishers followed. Now, interestingly, the price of paperbacks has remained about the cost of an hour's pay, even up to the present day. And if you were one of the lucky ones to get a copy of that 2000 print run of The Good Earth for free, you've got a gold mine, especially if it still has the dust cover. Note that no copies of that book are on sale. And that a 13th printing, published in 1941, is going for $1,000 as of May 2021. Now, unfortunately, World War II came to the U.S. with the attack on Pearl Harbor. Penguin U.S., which was racing with pocketbooks to get to the public, had to cope with paper shortages and terrible problems in overseas shipping. Although pocket continued to flourish, Penguin had to wait a bit. It was only when the war was over in 1946 that the new paperback publishers began to compete with each other, primarily because there was a huge new group of readers to feed. U.S. servicemen who got the reading habit from the armed service editions which were distributed in the millions during the war. But that's a story for a future podcast, and we'll certainly cover that in detail. Let's take a quick break and come back with our friend Mike to talk about his collection of paperbacks. So we're talking to my friend, Mike, who uh, loves to read. He's got some paperbacks. Uh, I sent him some and he's got some good ones. What? Uh, where do you put them in your house, Mike?
1: So I've got two places. We have like our living room bookshelf that we present you know, when people come over so they see how cultured and sophisticated we are and hopefully intimidated by us and our literary knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't read any of those. They're just all for appearances. So in where I work in my office, then I have my shanty bookshelf with my dirty old books and those are the ones that I actually read. Um, So I keep them very close to where I'm working. And actually I have a, a, a little night table Next to my bed, and I have a stack of maybe four or five books that I read every night. Um, so uh, yeah, I have a couple places. Oh, I have books in the bathroom. Yeah, I guess I have books all over the place.
0: Of course, of course. Now uh, that kind of book, what's on the shelf? I call those uh, show books. Yeah, Because you're not going to read him, but you want to show off so that people will go, oh, my God, <laughs> he's reading Tractologica's Tractocatocas by Vodka Kukasish.
1: And I was just kidding. I don't need books. like I read them all. So
0: <laughs> I just wanted to sound like a smart ass. So now I, I love paperbacks because they're so easy to to handle, you know, ever since I was a kid, yeah. you'd stick one in your pocket. I love the covers on them. You, you like paperbacks too, don't you?
1: Yeah. I always order those over the hardcover. Cause I like carrying books around, you know, and sitting around different places. So right. yeah, a lot of my favorite ones are on paperback. I always order those. Um, you actually turned me on to the Vampire 100D novels. So you gave me one of those and now I have the entire collection. I read all of them. So that's one of wow. my favorite. That's one those of my are favorite great.
0: Paperbacks. Yeah. I love the covers on those. Those are really neat.
1: Yeah. So those are some of my, f- I don't read much fiction, but I've read all those and I love those.
0: Yeah. What are some of your other favorite paperbacks that you like?
1: So next to my bed, I have the Hagakure, which is like the samurai code book, which is yeah. kind of a, a neat little book because it's it's broken up. It's really the wisdom of a certain age and it's just these little paragraphs and you can just open it from anywhere and read some stuff about, you know, if, if you... If you pee on a man's face and step on him with your, with your sandals, the skin will peel off of his face, you know, really useful stuff like that.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, um, But yeah, that one, and I think some of the books you gave me, you gave me a game narrative book too, I have there sitting there, but Mm -hmm. it's just kind of nice to, you know, read something like that before you go to sleep and have terrible nightmares.
0: Sure. Do you organize your paperbacks in any certain way or are they just sort of random according to what you'd like and...
1: Yeah. I kind of like in my bookshelf, I have, I definitely have my categories. Um, most of it's nonfiction. So on the top of my stuff, while these are hard, see, I have these boring hardcovers, programming books, AI books. Those are all hardcovers, giant, too big. You can't even hold them. And then the smaller ones just stuffed towards the bottom and that's the fiction. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much, you know, I do a lot of different creative things and I have just my own little sections for the different stuff. Um, yeah.
0: When you put them together, do you do them like uh, uh, by subject, by author?
1: Yeah, I do subject. Yeah. I, I definitely do them by subject. So I have my writing books I'm looking at here. I have my weirdo philosophy robot books over there. Um, my filmmaking book, Stanley Kubrick, a film Odyssey, and uh, Bruce Lee Ta- Tao of Jeet Kune do. I have a bunch of random stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. So now where do you go to buy paperbacks? You're up in San Jose, right?
1: Yeah, um, before the post-apocalyptic boring future that we're in right now, there's a neat little store called Recycle Books. Um, I don't have a car, so you know I'm limited to where I can walk or ride my bike. But luckily, I could ride my bike there, so that's the place I would go. Really cool bookstore. We got a bunch of cats, just tons of stuff. So I would go there. Before I used to go to when I lived in Santa Monica, there was I think a Borders on the Promenade. I used to go to all the time on the corner, and any book, I love bookstores, so any bookstore I can, you know, run into. Oh, Heidi Ho Comics in Santa Monica, I love that place. Oh, yeah, Heidi much.
0: Ho's great. They're great. There was also another bookstore in Santa Monica that's gone. It was called Wilshire Books on Wilshire, just past the uh, freeway, the 405 freeway.
1: That was probably going west, too far for me to walk. Ah. I, I was like third, 14th and where Anastasia's Asylum was a coffee shop on, I think it was on Wilshire. I used to go to all the time. But, uh, yeah, I didn't get that far out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been to a Recycle Books several times. They've got an excellent paperback section.
1: And there was one in Mountain View called Book Buyers. There was a great bookstore um, that went out of business. That place was really cool. Um, there was a metaphysical book across the street, so I'd go buy books on aliens and mind control and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, Book Buyers was a great one. They also sold software, too, which was kind of cool.
0: Huh. That's kind of a hard business because they go obsolete so quickly.
1: Yeah. And they did go out of business because most of it was like computer books and stuff like that, which I know are unholy at most bookstores, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. We don't want that. Textbooks and things like that, they date too quickly. Yeah. What's the weirdest paperback you've ever owned?
1: Oh, I just had it here. Uh well, I have a really weird friend in Japan and once I was there and she gave me a stack of books and they were all in Japanese, so I can't read them. I don't read Japanese. My wife is reading Japanese now, but I don't. And I think it it was like this white book with like a 3D image that was like a swastika and the star of David together. And I looked through it and I'm pretty sure it's a book from the Rayelian alien cult. So it was this guy, Rayel, and they're called Ray, Rayelians, I think. But um, it's like their cult manual for this like alien cult. But I'm pretty sure the cult's from Brazil, but it was in Japanese. So that's probably the weirdest paperback I
0: have. Wow. That is a very strange one. You got to send me a picture of the cover so I can post it.
1: Yeah. And we'll all get banned.
0: Of course. Well, we're going to go out with Ruth Edding. I love her. And that's our show for you today. I'd like to thank Mike, aka the artist M. Strange, um, for talking to us about his books and his selections and his ideas. I'd also like to note that Vampire Hunter D is a series of Japanese novels written by Hideyuki Kikuchi and illustrated Yoshitaka Amano, wonderful illustrator since 1983. Uh, there's about 29 novels that have been published by Dark Horse, who also publishes graphic novels. Um, some of the novels comprising as many as four volumes in the series. It's also spawned anime, audio drama, manga, comics, video games. Uh, There's an omnibus edition of uh, of Vampire Hunter D, which contains the first three novels. They're very entertaining reads, and they combine horror with science fiction and fantasy in very unique ways. They're much better than the anime versions, although those those are pretty good too. We'll put all this information together in our show notes available at paperbackshow.com. So check it out there. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Here's a dream that is true.